The island of Sado, off the west coast of Japan, December 2019. A Japanese Coast Guard vessel glided closer to the shore. The men raised binoculars to their eyes. There it was, a wooden boat grounded on its side on the beach, the salt water lapping at its rotten hull. Once a sight to behold, it was now only half a ship. The vessel had split in two. The Coast Guard docked alongside the wreckage. The wind changed, carrying a powerful stench toward them. The sailors reeled. But they pressed onward to explore the wreck anyway, shielding their noses and mouths from the smell. As they boarded, their boots creaked on the old boards. The ship was barely seaworthy, but the unbearable odor wasn't from the rotting wood. It seemed to be coming from inside the ship. The team approached the door of the hold and pried it open. As sunlight illuminated the interior, their jaws dropped in horror. One bent over and vomited. Five bodies sprawled on the floor. Based on the stage of decomposition, they must have been dead for weeks. And they hadn't died naturally, because on the floor sitting next to the bodies were two human heads. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is our first of two episodes on the North Korean ghost ships, abandoned boats that washed ashore in Japan and Russia. They used to be a somewhat rare phenomenon, but between 2013 and 2021, they started appearing more frequently. And there's no clear reason why. This episode will investigate the wrecks and the gruesome human cargo investigators have found on board. Next time, we'll dig deeper into the ghost ship's mysterious origins. We'll examine whether they're unfortunate sailors who got blown off course, poachers, or secret agents working for the North Korean government. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Are you looking for a view of the world that's a bit different? Hi, I'm Jason Palmer, a host of The Weekend Intelligence, a podcast from The Economist. Join us to hear the stories that matter most to our correspondents and editors. Every Saturday, we introduce you to people and ideas that take you outside the ordinary and expand your horizons one episode at a time. Join us and see the world from a new perspective. To listen free until May 31st, search Spotify for The Weekend Intelligence. The NBA playoffs are here, and we all know playoff mode is a thing. 
Listen to the evidence. Playoff crowds are going wild. Playoff players are lighting up the court. Even your speakers are in playoff mode. Okay, we'll take it down a notch, but just a notch, because this is the Turn It Up to 11 NBA Playoffs. Playoff mode is clearly a thing. The NBA Playoffs presented by Google Pixel continue on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. The Second World War ended in 1945 when the Empire of Japan surrendered unconditionally. They were now at the mercy of the United States and the Soviet Union. The two superpowers divided the disgraced empire's former colonies. These included islands across the Pacific, a chunk of northeastern China, and the Korean Peninsula. After extensive debates and conferences, China, Russia, and the U.S. decided to divide Korea into two states along the 38th parallel. These became North and South Korea. In 1950, the North invaded the South, leading to a bloody three-year war that ended in a stalemate. Afterward, the South became a democracy, building close diplomatic ties with Japan and the United States. The North, under Premier Kim Il-sung, received minimal support from its allies in Soviet Russia and China. As the world modernized over the subsequent decades, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, or DPRK, built an uncompromising communist identity. They established strict bureaucracies controlling every aspect of life, from immigration to tourism to agriculture. And most importantly, the country closely guarded its secrets. With a state-controlled media and limited contact with the outside world, the DPRK earned the nickname the Hermit Kingdom. Even to this day, facts about the reality of life in North Korea are almost impossible to discern from sanctioned propaganda. But in spite of their isolation, North Korea still maintained diplomatic relationships with other communist nations. Among other imports, the DPRK bought large quantities of cheap fuel from Russia. This was necessary to power their massive fishing industry. Kim Il-sung ordered the construction of enormous fishing barges, specially designed to haul many tons of fish. Powered by the inexpensive oil from the Soviet Union, these barges took full advantage of the Sea of Japan's rich waters. This system worked for the DPRK for decades. But once the Cold War ended and the Soviet Union collapsed, North Korea could no longer rely on its strongest ally. Without the fuel, the enormous shipping vessels couldn't operate. Seemingly overnight, the fishing industry imploded in 1994. That same year, Kim Il-sung died and the country plunged into famine. The economy only grew worse throughout the 90s. While devastating floods destroyed North Korea's grain stores, the government mismanaged what little food they had. To this day, the DPRK's government refers to this famine as the arduous march. Due to the Hermit Kingdom's secrecy, we don't know how many people died. According to the state, around 200,000 people starved. But foreign scholars and journalists speculate a more accurate number would be closer to three or four million people. For perspective, that's about three to four times as devastating as the Great Potato Famine in Ireland. Though we don't know the exact body count, 
We do know that the arduous march spurred authorities to reorganize the fishing industry. The government no longer made large vessels to catch seafood. Instead, they sold permits to allegedly independent fishermen. And for a long time, the world didn't pay much attention to the Hermit Kingdom's fishing infrastructure until it was suddenly thrust back into the limelight. In 2013, on the western shores of Japan, beachgoers started finding boats, either run aground or drifting ashore. They bore little signs of life and were notably old-fashioned. None had a modern GPS or navigation system. Many didn't even have motors. Even the motorized boats were antiquated, with weak engines that maxed out at around 38 horsepower. Most modern fishing boats use about 50 to 300 horsepower. Though most were unmarked, a few had Korean writing on their hulls. Some said Korean People's Army, and others had the flag of North Korea. Japanese authorities concluded that these must be castoffs from the DPRK. When reporting on these lost boats, the media referred to them as North Korea's ghost ships. Japan and North Korea are only about 650 miles apart, so it makes sense that an abandoned boat could drift across the sea, eventually ending up on Japan's west coast. But it was hard to explain why so many washed ashore. In 2011, Japanese citizens found 57 North Korean boats. In 2012, it fell to 47. But then in 2013, the number leapt up to 80. From 2014 to 2021, up to 100 of these boats have washed ashore each year. The wrecks have turned into a disturbing trend, and nobody has learned what's behind them. Most alarmingly, the ships haven't all had empty hulls. Some have had a cargo of decomposing bodies. Coming up, Japan mourns the lost souls of North Korea's ghost fleet. The worst serial killer. The creepiest cult. The most outrageous con. If you're a true crime fan, you've probably pondered these things. Well, now you can get answers, or at least some passionate opinions. Every week on our podcast, Crime Countdown, my co-host Ash and I rank 10 unsettling crimes centered around a common theme, debating each case with just a hint of humor to lighten the mood. Elena and I may not be experts, and we may not always agree, but we're counting down anyway. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Crime Countdown. Listen free on Spotify. The NBA playoffs are here, and we all know playoff mode is a thing. Listen to the evidence. Playoff crowds are going wild. Playoff players are lighting up the court. Even the speakers are in playoff mode. Okay, we'll take it down a notch, but just a notch, because this is the Turn It Up to 11 NBA Playoffs. Playoff mode is clearly a thing. The NBA Playoffs presented by Google Pixel continue on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. And now, back to the story. In the early 2010s, mysterious boats began washing ashore in Japan. Identified as North Korean, not all of the wrecks were as abandoned as they initially seemed. In 2015, the Coast Guard responded to a call in Monzen on Japan's west coast. 
residents had noticed an abandoned fishing boat caught in a buoy. As the officials dispatched officers to the scene, they received two additional reports. Another pair of boats had washed up in Monzin Bay. None seemed to have sailors on board. Confused, the Coast Guard boarded the first, only to learn of the crew's tragic fate. Their decomposed bodies were too rotten to be recognizable. Authorities searched the other two ships and found similarly gruesome sights. In total, they hauled ten corpses off the ships. None bore any obvious sign of injury. They were too decayed to do a proper autopsy, but Japanese officials ruled that they either starved to death or died of exposure. This wasn't the last time Japanese citizens found a floating grave. And eventually, the bodies started washing up on shore without a boat. In December 2018, a noodle shop owner named Shizu Sato glanced out the window in his beachside house and spotted a pale shape in the rocks by the waves. From a distance, it looked like a discarded mannequin. The object was wedged between rocks at an unnatural angle. It bobbed in the tide, but wasn't moving on its own. Once Sato reached about 30 feet away, he recoiled in horror. There was no doubt it was a lifeless human body. Sato called the police, who arrived in protective gear. Before examining the corpse, they told the shop owner to stay back for his safety. The body was likely North Korean and might be carrying diseases Japanese civilians had no immunity to. After the officers safely zipped up the corpse in a body bag, they departed. But that wasn't the end of Sato's story. In an interview with Al Jazeera, he noted that more ghost ships washed ashore regularly. The most horrific wreck appeared in December 2019, when a particularly large boat washed ashore on Sato Island, slightly west of mainland Japan. The Japanese Coast Guard explored the wreck. On board, they found a pile of dead bodies, three intact, two decapitated, and two heads. Once again, all were badly decomposed. They must have been at sea for weeks. Officials had plenty of questions. It wasn't clear how victims had died, why some were decapitated, or whether the heads belonged to the dismembered corpses. Perhaps there were other bodies and heads somewhere in the sea. Naturally, the gruesome finds were a major news story, at least in Japan. North Korea refused to issue a statement about the fishing boats or lay claim to the lost souls on board. This reaction became increasingly problematic for Japan. Removing the wreckage was difficult and expensive, especially when it showed up on tourist-heavy beaches. The two nations had no diplomatic relations. And without North Korea's cooperation, Japan struggled to identify the bodies and return the remains to their families. In one case, eight corpses washed up on the Oga Peninsula. The authorities didn't know what to do with the bodies, so the municipality cremated them. Afterwards, a local Buddhist monk named Jyosin Kojima took custody of the urns until the local government could return them to their families. Kojima speculated that these lost sailors died full of fear and despair. 
He was sympathetic to their tragic tale and felt duty-bound to look after the remains until they returned home. Unfortunately, the process of returning them was slow-moving. Bureaucratic red tape as a result of Japanese and North Korean relations made efforts difficult. Given the lack of communication between the governments, the Red Cross acted as a mediator between local authorities and a controversial agency called Changrian. There's no North Korean embassy in Japan, but Changrian, also known as the General Association of Korean Residents in Japan, effectively serves the same purpose. It's an independent organization of Japanese-born North Koreans who maintain close ties with the DPRK. According to the Red Cross, Chongryan successfully negotiated returning the remains. But Japanese authorities never learned where they eventually ended up, or whether the victims' families were ever notified of their deaths. And this is how the dead were handled. When North Korean ships washed ashore with survivors, events only became more complicated. In December 2019, the same month the Coast Guard discovered the beheaded bodies, the Japanese Coast Guard found another fishing boat. They were sailing near an offshore shelter, a storm refuge for ships in peril. In this instance, the crew were alive and in distress. After apprehending the lost fishermen, the Japanese discovered that the shelter had been burglarized. Somebody had taken several items, including a rice cooker and a television. The fishermen confessed to the theft. They'd thrown the contraband overboard when they saw the authorities bearing down on them. Instead of prosecuting the trespassers, law enforcement decided to send them back to North Korea, which happened eventually. Again, given the complexity of Japanese-North Korean relations, the government has been vague about how they manage the deportations. Complicating matters, survivors landing in Japan wasn't a singular, isolated incident. Japanese authorities rescued approximately 40 living North Koreans off derelict boats in 2017. Interestingly, all of these wrecks appeared at the same time of year, between October and February. This coincided with the fishing season for sandfish, king crab, and squid, all popular catches for the DPRK. And all of the survivors had the same story. They were fishermen who'd been blown off course by strong winds. With limited navigational ability and no GPS, they were lost in the Sea of Japan. They wanted to go home, and they all managed to do so, thanks to the enormous efforts of the Japanese government and Japanese officials setting aside their political differences. In the 2010s, Tensions between Japan and North Korea were at an all-time high. Throughout 2017, the DPRK tested missiles that were more powerful and had a longer range than any they'd used before. Around this time, several intercontinental ballistic missiles crashed into the Sea of Japan. Some even flew over the country. The DPRK were sending a clear message. They could destroy their capitalist neighbor Japan anytime they wanted, but they were choosing not to for the time being. On Wednesday, January 17, 2018, at 6.55 p.m. Tokyo time, the public broadcast system dispatched millions of phone notifications. They read, quote, 
North Korea appears to have launched a missile. Shelter inside buildings or underground. Though nuclear attack drills were common throughout the country, many Japanese citizens still felt unprepared. Some called their families. Others rushed towards subway stations. Still others froze as the existential horror set in. There was no way to stop the incoming missile. They were as good as dead. Five minutes later, at 7 p.m., the phones chimed with a second message. The news alert had been a mistake. There was no nuclear missile. The whole country breathed a sigh of relief. We're not entirely clear on what triggered the alarm, but the error illustrates the severity of the threat and how vulnerable Japan would be to a North Korean attack. And while there's no direct connection between the ghost ships and the threat of a nuclear strike, the wrecks may have served as a subtle warning to the Japanese people, a continual reminder that North Korea was just on the other side of the sea, poised to strike at any moment. Except, as it turned out, Japan wasn't the only nation grappling with fishing boat wreckage. Just as many derelicts washed ashore on the coasts of one of North Korea's allies. During that same time period, hundreds of ghost ships crashed in the Russian Federation. Coming up, the ghost ships make landfall in Russia. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Moneymaker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. And now, back to the story. Throughout the 2010s, countless old boats washed up on the western shores of Japan. Every year, these wrecks appeared more frequently, and they contributed to the tension between Japan and North Korea. One major point of contention stemmed from the fact that nobody seemed to know whether the ghost ships violated international fishing laws. Under United Nations maritime regulations, most countries with a coastline have their own Exclusive Economic Zone, or EEZ, where only that nation can fish. Anyone could operate in the neutral zones outside the EEZs. But in the Sea of Japan, most of the water is exclusively North Korean, South Korean, Japanese, or Russian. Fishing boats can pass through the sea, but if they were to drop a net in another nation's zone, it would be a crime. Since the North Korean ghost ships regularly washed ashore outside of North Korean waters, many assumed they'd left their EEZ before they drifted off course. And from there, currents carried them to Japan or to Russia. In Russia, 
The boats most often washed ashore near the port city of Vladivostok, which lies about 70 miles northeast of North Korea. According to its residents, at any given time there was at least one wrecked boat on every beach. Like in Japan, they all had Korean writing on their hulls. Another telltale sign of each boat's purposes was the equipment. They clearly used drift nets. Composed of tiny hair-like cords, they resembled a clump of fur or decorative Halloween spiderwebs. They were illegal in Russia because they ensnared everything. Plants, fish, birds, even human divers and swimmers. These wreckages didn't only represent a risk to Russian citizens. Like their counterparts in Japan, many housed dead bodies, presumably crew members who died during the journey from North Korea. According to a funeral parlor director named Vladimir Gorohovsky, Russia had just as much difficulty disposing of North Korean bodies as Japan. Whenever Vladimir would get reports of a corpse, he'd contact local Russian authorities, and they always refused to cooperate with him. Once, Vladimir asked if they could put him in contact with the North Korean embassy. They responded, quote, Why did you bring the bodies in? Leave them there. Unlike Japan, the Russian media has never reported how many dead fishermen have washed ashore in their country. And even though they have more cordial diplomatic relationships with North Korea, transporting remains back to the DPRK was just as difficult, possibly because they didn't have an organization like Changrian to advocate for the individuals. In lieu of an official policy to handle the ghost ships, Regular citizens sought answers to why the boats kept washing ashore. A Russian professor named Vyacheslav Dubina used satellite imagery to monitor the ship's movements. He observed up to 3,000 unidentified lights in the Russian Federation's exclusive fishing zone. He reasoned that these must be entire fleets of North Korean poachers. Dubina theorized that large steel fishing ships were towing smaller wooden ones, then setting them loose to go fish. If rough weather endangered the North Korean fleet, they'd seek shelter in Russian coves. Ordinary Russian fishermen like Ilya Novikov have reportedly witnessed these North Korean fleets firsthand. Novikov allegedly saw them sail into Olga Bay, where they fished at leisure, unhindered by the Coast Guard. And since their arrival, Novikov and other local fishermen's jobs have only become more difficult. Thanks to overfishing, crabs, sea cucumbers, and prawns that were once plentiful became incredibly rare. Of note, both countries issue quotas. But Russians have a cap on hauls to protect the fish populations, while the DPRK quota is a minimum. They're required to bring in enough food to feed the North Korean people, no matter how it damages the ecosystem. These rogue fleets do similar damage to Japanese waters. According to a Japanese squid fisherman named Ken Hanma, he never used to see North Korean fishing vessels at all. But as of 2013, they were everywhere. Hanma told the documentary series Undercover Asia that when the poachers arrive, their fleets can be large enough to be mistaken for a small island on radar screens. Many contain more than 1,800 ships. And the Russian and Japanese coast guards have been relatively powerless as they try to combat the issue. 
It's virtually impossible to patrol every inch of their shorelines all the time. But sometimes they do encounter active poachers. In September 2019, the Russian Coast Guard and a North Korean fishing fleet clashed at sea. According to the Russian officers, the poachers attacked first and they returned fire in self-defense. Three patrolmen were wounded and one of the poachers was killed. The Russian government arrested some of the survivors, but only those who'd been involved in the shooting. While the vessels were impounded, the free crew members remained on board, waiting to hear of their comrades' fates. As the weeks wore on, they requested supplies from the North Korean embassy. It's unclear whether they received any aid. The poachers didn't talk to anybody in the harbor and never left their boat. The only people who spoke to them was a French documentary crew. With the aid of an interpreter, reporters asked the fishermen whether the embassy had helped them. Initially, the sailors said no, but they quickly became suspicious and began refusing to answer further questions. Not receiving any cooperation, the documentarians set up cameras to spy on the ship from afar. They watched as the crew bathed with salt water, which they took as a sign that they were rationing their potable water. In other words, the illegal fishermen were possibly being neglected by their country. And the courts didn't treat their incarcerated crewmates much better. When the accused poachers showed up for their hearing, they were bruised and beaten up, presumably from injuries sustained in captivity. Unfortunately, we don't know the outcome of this trial. The standard punishment for organized poaching is five years in prison, but most of these cases end with the guilty party being deported. And after they return to North Korea, they're untraceable. We can't say whether the state executes them or if they simply end up back on a different boat. But even before their arrests, these fishermen were taking incredible risks. The number of ghost ships full of bodies reveals just how dangerous the operation is. And although it's hard to discern the North Korean government's attitudes, their limited public statements seem to indicate they're okay with the casualties. State propaganda often features boasts about how successful their new fishing operation is. Illustrations show Kim Jong-un next to mountains of squid, crab, and fish. Of course, this could be ordinary state-sanctioned chest-thumping. But since neighboring countries reported diminished seafood hauls, some took the propaganda as confirmation that the DPRK endorsed the rogue fishing fleets. North Korea certainly hasn't been concerned about its international reputation. In the late 2010s, the war of words between the United States and North Korea was at its height, with Japan and South Korea caught in the middle, and the number of wrecked ships continued to climb. Then, the COVID-19 pandemic brought the world to a halt. As far as we can tell, in 2020, there wasn't a single ghost ship wreck in Russia or Japan. Unfortunately, we can only speculate as to how the coronavirus affected North Korea, since the Hermit Kingdom hasn't reported any data. Satellite photos suggest the country's totalitarian regime has been effective at enforcing curfews and social distancing. But this is only speculation. Since the country's entire infrastructure is centralized, 
it may be difficult to enforce separated pods, making it easier for the virus to spread. When the world returns to normal, we may see poaching fleets and ghost ships return. But it all depends on what these ships are and why they're at sea. Maybe the DPRK needs to address a new famine that isn't public knowledge yet. Perhaps the government drafts citizens and forces them to serve in poaching fleets or face consequences. Alternatively, some reporters and news outlets have speculated that the Hermit Kingdom's fishermen have become more aggressive to meet their quotas. Their outdated and rundown boats may not have been equipped to deal with squalls at sea. Or perhaps these aren't government operatives, but people fleeing the oppressive conditions in the DPRK. Desperate to escape North Korea, they've taken the biggest risk possible. And in the face of insurmountable odds, often paid the ultimate price. But others suggest more sinister motives. Since Japan and North Korea have been butting heads for so long, the ghost ships may be decoys. Supposedly, instead of wrecks, they could be ferries carrying spies. Next time, we'll examine these various explanations. We'll see if we can finally shed a light on these lost boats and determine what forces have shipwrecked so many. The definition of a ghost varies from culture to culture, but these sailors, no matter how they ended up adrift, are now ghosts. As a result of geopolitical games, they've lost more than their lives. They've lost their humanity. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back next time with part two of the North Korean ghost ships. For more information on the North Korean ghost ships, amongst the many sources we used, we found the Undercover Asia episode, The Mystery of North Korean Ghost Ships, directed by Yusuke Hayamisu and Nicholas Leof Almark, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take We Don't Know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from ParCast. It is executive produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Matthew Teamstra with writing assistance by Angela Jorgensen and Connor Sampson. Fact-checking by Cara Mackerlein and research by Bradley Klein. Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. Thank you.